Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. We completed the rescue series, as Brother Mark said, and today I've had a real desire to just share what, in effect, is, is a postscript to the rescued series. So you know when you get the, the, the emails and the notes, letters, and somebody puts a PS at the end and then they add a little bit, that's kind of like um, just a, an addition that needs to be considered in relation to the main body of what's already been shared. That's my endeavor today that we would give some consideration to um, a particular area which follows on from last week. Last week we looked at being rescued from guilt and shame, that Jesus, our justifier, rescued us. He was given for our trespasses, raised for our justification, it says in Romans 4. And um, there's a particular aspect that I think that Really, it's going to be worth spending some time considering, worth actually just allowing the Lord to minister to our hearts concerning it, because it's an area of great encouragement, and also, as has already been highlighted today, it's an area in which we as Christians are being challenged often, regularly, and consistently. You know, Mark talked about the fact that out at Brixton, people look at you like you're strange if you don't believe in evolution. And this is the climate in which we live. And so, um, as we consider this postscript, we're going to be giving some consideration to probably the biggest hindrance to people actually surrendering to Christ. The biggest hindrance... In the face of irrefutable evidence, um, how many of you were in community group this week? Well, a few of you still. Praise God, you enjoyed the blessing. We, we enjoyed chopping it up this week and considering the evidence that God has provided for himself. Not that he needs to, he's God. And yet God so graciously has provided evidence, substantial evidence, concrete evidence, irrefutable evidence that causes us to be established in trust in Christ. Not merely fiction, not a fairy tale, not a myth. Yeah, Jesus is a legend, a living one. And yet we recognize that people still don't come to a place of surrendering to Christ. And so one of the things we'll be considering is real faith, real faith. And we're going to be looking at this from Hebrews 11. And so whilst you turn there, permit me to pray and commit this time to the Lord. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for the fact that you have made us your own, that you have revealed yourself to us, and that Lord, you have endowed us, you have given us, granted us 
so graciously, Lord, and so generously all that we need, Lord, for relationship with you. Lord, we do appreciate that relationship with you can often be testing. It can often be challenging, Lord. We do recognize that relationship with you is often um, an absurdity in the eyes of others. And um, Lord, we recognize that that doesn't make you nervous. That doesn't cause you to feel as though you're losing in the popularity stakes and you're going to get the PR machine out to, you know, make your, you are God and you don't need anyone. And yet, Lord, you choose to make yourself known to us. And Lord, our desire and our prayer is that, Lord, you would cause us to be established in our faith that we might cause others to be established in real and genuine faith. Have your way today among us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 11, 1 to 7. And I'm going to encourage you, if you have a Bible in whatever format, whether it's paper or electronic, please use it. One of the things that we are often very prayerful about is us being participators as we come together to worship God. And when I say worship God, I don't just mean singing. I mean in, in all of our acts of service and, and, and adoration that we engage in as we come together as a church. And it's important that we don't become passive, lethargic, and apathetic. We don't fall into the kind of spectator sport, the kind of Christian concert mentality where we come and consume and go. We live in a consumer-oriented society. So let's engage ourselves in the process of worship, whether that be reading, whether that be listening, whether that be singing, whether that be serving. Let us engage in worship. Amen? So do turn your Bibles with me. Hebrews 11, 1 to 7. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old receive their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark 
for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, we recognize that God has given great substance and yet faith in this day and age can be a confusing idea because we hear so many people speaking of faith whilst at the same time it can be a challenging thing to believe, to trust. It can be a challenging thing to remain steadfast. We can go through so many different experiences that cause our faith to be challenged. It could be the loss of a loved one. And our faith is rocked. God, I thought you were good. How could this happen? It might be the loss of a job. It might be not gaining that which you have been hoping for and expecting and praying for even. And not seeing the outcomes that we desire, our faith can be rocked to the core. Our faith can be challenged. Now, this scripture was written to a people who were being challenged. And they had different challenges that they were facing. We know this is the letter to the Hebrews. Now the Hebrews are Jews. They're Jewish people. And yet the letter wasn't like other letters written to Jewish Christians specifically. It was written to the Jews. And among the Jews, there were some that believed in Jesus as the Messiah. And there were others who were kind of like, hmm... I'm not sure. And then there were those who were like, no way, Hosea, let's persecute them. And so they were persecuting anyone. And when I say persecuting, not like, you know, uh, just giving them a hard time when they, when they go down to work at, at the school or, you know, making them feel uncomfortable at lunchtime. They were pursuing them to kill them. And so, the recipients of this letter, this is what they were facing. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to this mixed multitude, quote-unquote, this mixed bunch of people, and his endeavor has been to cause them to understand that Christ is not only the way, but he is the better way. That he is the better way because as Jews, they were familiar with God. They were religious people. They were familiar with Moses and the prophets. They were familiar with the Torah, the law. They were familiar, familiar with David and the kings. They had this as part of their identity as a people. So they were religious people. They knew about these things. And yet the writer was seeking to convince them, listen, those things are not going to help you right now. Because Christ has come and he is the fulfillment of all that they represent. So don't put your faith in those things, put your faith in Jesus. See what I'm saying? 
Now, just as ourselves, they were going through the struggle of coming to terms with putting their faith in Jesus. Shall I even trust Jesus? And furthermore, it seems like when I trust Jesus, I just get problems. And yet, the writer sought to address that. As you're there in chapter 11, you might want to glance back into chapter 10. In chapter 10, we see that the writer makes this very clear. Real faith is in Jesus, not the Old Testament regime of bulls and goats. So we see that in verses 1 to 14. That's basically what he's saying in verses 1 to 14. Look, real faith, because you know, we all got faith, right? So like today, everyone's got faith. Oh, my faith is keeping me. Oh, you know, it's, 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 it's a wonderful thing to have faith. I believe. Lots of people have faith. But real faith is faith that is placed in Jesus Christ and him alone. And nothing else in addition even. Not Jesus and. Not Jesus or, but Christ alone. Amen? So that was being communicated in verses 1 to 14. In verses 26 to 31, the writer basically communicates to reject real faith by rejecting Jesus results in judgment. To reject real faith by rejecting Jesus only ends up one place. That's judgment. God will judge those who reject Christ. And then we see in verses 32 to 39, a real strong encouragement to hold on to real faith even through hardship and persecution. Even though hardship and persecution makes it seem easier to go back to a fraud. You see? To have anything else other than Jesus is to have a a poor substitute. And so this is what the writer of Hebrews was aiming to communicate. That Jesus is the better way. Jesus is the new and living way. And so the point is, trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Now, as I mentioned, a lot of people have faith today. So what is faith? I know growing up, and especially um, you know, having seriously committed my life to Christ, I was exposed to a lot of talk about faith. In fact, the, the verses, Hebrews um, 11 verse 1 and so on, these are verses that I knew by memory, old school. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And it was one of those verses that you didn't like, you couldn't miss. Because 
they were the verses that we were, and notice I said we, were brandishing, especially when it was time to get our blessing. So what is faith? What is real faith? Well, it's different, and this scripture is coming from a different perspective than I've always understood it to be. Thank you, sir. Different perspective. You see, faith in many ways is a very simple thing. Faith simply means to believe with complete trust. To believe with complete trust. To place complete confidence in. So, it's not a uniquely religious quote-unquote term. It's not a uniquely biblical term. It's a term that is used often. Ah, that car. Nah, it doesn't look like a runner. I'm not going to put my faith in that. I have faith in you. I know that you're going to be able to do this. Don't worry. It's a term that is often used and it conveys that sentiment of believing with a complete confidence. But furthermore, one of the things we have to appreciate and understand is that faith, it's not just an intellectual recognition. Faith is more than just understanding something and agreeing with it to be true. So in England, it always rains. I understand that. I agree. Now, I'm not putting any confidence in that fact. I'm not going to start going down the bookies, gambling on when it's going to rain and when it ain't. Because I have confidence, it always rains. Well, faith is a head and a heart commitment. It's not just understanding something in our head. It's not just agreeing with something in our mind. But it is our heart being given in confidence to that thing in which we put our trust. That is what biblical faith conveys. Now, I wonder if any of you know who this person is. If you can see that. Any guesses? Any guesses? No? Could be anyone, right? All right. If I were to show you this picture, any suggestions? Who? Blondin, that's right. So this is him in his younger years, and he's known as the Great Blondin. And just as the name suggests, he was given to all manner of death-defying antics. And here you see him walking on a tightrope three and a half inches in diameter, 1,100 feet across Niagara Falls with a man on his back. <laughs> you would have thought it was bad enough Blondin's on the tightrope by himself, right? 
he's walking the tightrope with his manager on his back. <laughs> so his manager's got faith, right? <laughs> and Blondin was a guy that done this thing for joke, for sport. He, went, he would go on there. At one point, he went on there. He took a chair. He put the chair on one leg on the actual um, tightrope and stood on the chair to the great applause of the people. <sighs> he went on there and he, he took a, um, some kind of contraption that enabled him to, to scramble some eggs and eat it whilst on the wire <laughs> to the great applause of the people. <sighs> now there was an occasion after he had carried his manager across where he went across the, the, the tightrope with a wheelbarrow. Everyone's like, oh yes, wheelbarrow. And he comes back and he says, do you think that I could carry someone in this wheelbarrow across this tightrope after they've seen all that he's done? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, everyone wants to see this, right? Yeah, someone in the wheelbarrow going across. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, who will be the first volunteer from the crowd? Now, which of us is going to be the first to jump up? It don't matter how many times you've seen the brother go across there. He could have, he could have cooked fish and chips on the wire. You're not going to jump in that wheelbarrow, right? 160 feet from your death. And so, as you imagine, nobody came forward. Silence. Will nobody volunteer? Does no one believe I can do it? Everyone starts murmuring now, because it's different when it's someone else, when you now have to make that commitment, it's not just that you understand in your head, yeah, I've seen him do it. I know he can do it, I agree, but now there's a commitment of the heart that needs to engage. Am I going to put my trust and confidence in this guy with my life? My life. Not a joke. No reruns. Now eventually they got one volunteer and the rest is history, he went across, he came back. But it very clearly illustrates the difference between mere belief and faith. Mere mental recognition and true trust. And we are called to have faith in God. Have faith in God. Don't just agree in the mind but trust him. And you see, it is in this place that so many people stumble. It's in this place that so many people don't progress beyond being religious. You see, the Hebrews were religious. And they knew about God. And they knew about his works. And they even knew about Christ. But to trust him with their lives, to submit to him entirely and in surrender, they were struggling. Now, I want us to consider a few things that real faith is. Real faith is reasonable. People talk about, uh, you Christians, you just blind faith. Weak people have faith. Intelligent people know. 
So if you've kind of spoken to any of those kind of, um, those guys, like we encountered them at Brixton, and they might have a kind of a Nubian kind of background and slant, slant to their perspective, and they'll be like, I don't believe, I know. So we're like, okay, let's explore that. You don't believe, you know. Okay. So how did we get here? And this was literal conversation two weeks ago in Brixton. Well, I believe that. I said, I thought you don't believe. I thought you know. So what is it that you know about how we got here? Num, 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 start chewing his gums. I'm like, okay, so let's just put things into context. At the end of the day, everyone has to have faith. Everyone exercises faith. Faith isn't something that is just for weak people. Everyone does, in one way or another, to one extent or another, daily exercise faith. So um, anyone here work and get paid monthly? Yeah? You work and you get paid monthly. Now, you are people of great faith. Because it's, it's, not, it's not strange that at the end of the month, the employer's umming and ahhing. It's happened. Some of you may feel, you know, I'm, I'm in the local authority. I'm, I'm in an establishment. They've got money. Look at the council tax that they're raking. I spoke to someone not so long ago who was working for the local authority, and their pay weren't their payday. I swear they was working for Lambeth. <laughs> Those who know, know, innit? <laughs> I was a Lambeth resident for most of my life. And by the state of their roads, they're lacking money. But it don't matter who you're working for. You work and get paid at the end of the month, and you know what? You're exercising faith. Because you're trusting, you have a sense of assurance that at the end of the month, that money's going to be there. Now, we all know it's a madness. It's, it's war if it's not. Emails flying... Phone calls, director of services, whatever. But you've worked in faith that that person's word is good. That at the end of the month, they've committed to pay, you've signed a contract for what that's worth, and you expect to see your money. Everyone exercises faith. Faith is a completely reasonable experience that everyone participates in. Now, some people have faith in faith. And they think that just because I believe something, then it's true. It is so. Even as Christians, I know as a Christian, growing in grace, thank God for his grace, there were often times when I'd, I believed something was going to happen simply because I believed it was going to happen. Not because it had anything to do with God's revelation of himself and the fact that it was his will or not. And so I stepped out of the realm of faith into the realm of presumption. I was presuming on the will of God. So that's what faith isn't. But faith is reasonable. 
And we recognize that faith is reasonable as we considered last time. At the center of our faith as Christians is Jesus. And it's an evidential experience. Our faith isn't merely blind faith. It's simply because that's what we've been taught. That's what's been handed down to us. Maybe for some of us, that's the journey. But for all of us, there must be that point at which we ask, is this real or what? Is this genuine? I know for me, that came at the age of about 14. And I was like, I wonder if this Bible is actually the biggest hoax ever. Imagine if it weren't true. All the people going to church, reading the Bible, following it. And I began to ask questions. Why is the Bible supposed to be trusted apart from other things? And I began to not necessarily have a crisis of faith, but I began to probe and challenge and actually become more established in faith. And I was so blessed as I began to realize that, wow, God really does account for himself well, as you would expect. So faith is reasonable. This is a quote from a brother called Jeff Bridges. Um, He wrote a book called Knowing God and has written another book called Trusting God. And this is what he says. It is just as important to trust God as it is to obey him. Just as important. When we disobey God, we defy his authority and despise his holiness. That's when we disobey. When we fail to trust God, we doubt his sovereignty and question his goodness. You see, God, by definition of who he is, being God, is able to be trusted. And to not trust God is an expression of defiance. And furthermore, it's actually an expression of arrogance. And this is one of the things we understand about the atheist position. Many, maybe unbeknown to them, hold a very arrogant position you see the atheist claim is there is no God I do not believe that there is a God now it is actually impossible for there to be any genuine atheists Ray Comfort wrote a book God doesn't believe in atheists there's no such thing as an atheist and you say well how can you say that because there are lots of people that don't believe in God Consider this. In order to genuinely hold the position of an atheist, someone would have to know 100% everything of everything that is able to be known to know that God doesn't exist in some far-flung corner of the universe. They would have to know that he's not under the sand dunes of the Sahara Desert, that he's not at the, the bottom of the deep blue sea, as it were, that they would have to know for a certainty that God does not exist in order to sustain the position that there is no God. At best, 
The most they can say is, I don't know. But the reality is that in our human arrogance, there are so many that will say, there is no God, like they know everything. This is why the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And that's just like, put the two together. The person who thinks they know everything knows nothing. The person who thinks they know everything is actually truly a fool. And even those that suggest in our collective consciousness as a humanity, we are going to rise and ascend to the place of absolute utopia and perfection and paradise and we can do it. Whilst we can't even get on with our flatmate because they're teething our food out the fridge. And we hate our boss. And, but we can do it. Many have science as their stronghold, as the depth of their conviction. It was only a couple hundred years ago that scientists were saying that the earth is flat. And then what? Don't, the Columbus, no! You will fall off the edge! You see, science is limited by our own human limitations, which are entirely abundant and persistent. And even with the increasing technology, we're not increasing in wisdom. We increase in knowledge, but we don't increase in morality. And so it is a misplaced faith to trust in man, to trust in ourselves or ourselves, to trust in science. Completely misplaced. And it's, it's arrogant to say that there is no God. We have to admit that if we're honest, God could well exist beyond the limits of my understanding. In that, in that place where my understanding stops, that's where God is right there. And it takes a, a humility to admit, well, I don't know if there's a God. And you see, pride is the heart of the human problem. And so we recognize that to disbelieve intentionally and willfully is to question God's goodness and to deface his sovereignty. But real faith recognizes. Real faith trusts. Real faith is in 3D. <laughs> you know, looking for the glasses under your seat. Real faith is three-dimensional. It is such that we see in verse 1, it is an assurance of things hoped for. It is a present, now tense, assurance of those things hoped for that is yet to come. And the conviction of things unseen. 
It is right now, rooted in the past, reaching for the future. That's real faith. Living on three dimensions. Faith isn't narrow-minded. It's not short-sighted. Faith accounts for the entire scope of human history. Now, one of the things that anchors our faith in God is the fact that we are here. And you see, even as Mark was talking about the challenge of dealing with the argument of evolution, it's a crucial issue because fundamentally, there are only two options as to where we came from historically, way back in the past when time was zero. Where did we come from? It's either God made us, or as the proposal is, we evolved. Now, not only is evolution illogical, it's philosophically flawed, if I could say the word even, and it's scientifically flawed. You lot sound like you never heard that before. Evolution is illogical, unphilosophical, and unscientific. Consider this. Something came out of nothing. No matter, nothing. Which is easier to believe? That something came out of nothing or that a superior being made us. It is illogical. We know throughout the years of human history that something does not come out of nothing. Now, people want to talk about string theory and these molecules that appear and disappear. They come from another dimension and then they go back. And, and no, seriously, this is a scientific theory. Am I lying? Brother, no science over here. But the thing is this. Where did the molecule come from? I don't care what dimension it came from. Where did the molecule... How did it get there in the first place? Evolution is unphilosophical. Standing in Brixton, I said, look, you know what? You say that we are just like animals floating on a rock in space. So, where do we get our sense of right and wrong? I mean, Darwin said it's the survival of the fittest out here, right? So I'm coming to get your stuff. Phone, wallet, um, iPod, keys, bank card. Why not? I mean, if I could take you, I would take your stuff. Philosophically, it's unsustainable. Because fundamentally, there is such a thing as absolute right and wrong. It takes more faith to believe in evolution. It's a theory whose evidence has been disproven. Enough of that. 
God has revealed himself. Faith is based on revelation. Not subjective ideas, but God revealing himself. God has revealed himself in creation, it says in Romans 1. God has revealed himself in Christ, it says. Irrefutable. Faith is based on revelation, not subjective ideas and understandings. Listen to this. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we have the Son, eternal, through whom all things were made, creation, who came into time and space, and not only came into time and space and revealed God to us, but was crucified for our sins, and now sits risen at the right hand of majesty on high. That's a gospel right there in a nutshell. And they say that our faith has no basis, No, our faith is based on God's revelation of himself. We can trust God because God has spoken. He has revealed. He has communicated to us through his son. This is a fact. And so we see that God has revealed himself also to our hearts. We recognize that faith is granted to us. In Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so the gospel ignites faith in the heart. It's not even something that we, by our own strength and our own ingenuity, being dead in our sin, how does that work? God ignites faith in the heart. And so he reveals himself to individuals' hearts. And this is a gift that God grants. Ephesians 2.8 For you have been saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This is real faith. God revealing himself externally, objectively, and us humbly submitting to God's revelation of himself and saying, I see that, it makes sense, I trust you, as he reveals himself to our hearts. Real faith is necessary, it is required. In verse 6 of Hebrews 11, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible to please God. For those that come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. 
How can people say, yeah, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I don't really believe in God, but... Huh? Those that come to God must believe that he is. That he is and that he is a rewarder. You see? God is and he is good. That's real faith. Real faith is necessary to salvation. I just quoted Ephesians 2.8. It says, you are saved by grace through faith. Jesus is the doorway. Faith is the corridor. And so we see that in a time and a place when people are reluctant to even acknowledge the existence of God. Ultimately, it's not because there's, you know, real strong intellectual arguments and so on. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of not willing to believe. It's a matter of pride. And yet, real faith is rewarded. It's rewarded. And we read about Abel who offered the better offering and he was accepted by God. Why? Because he'd done a better thing? No, not merely so. It's because he received God's word and obeyed it. He trusted that what God said was right and true and proper and he expressed his faith by doing it. And so even that wasn't salvation by works. He believed God's word. Enoch, a preacher of righteousness, he walked off the planet, literally. And they looked for him and he was not. Where's he gone? He walked with God into the heavenly realm. Gone. Because he was a guy who trusted God. He received God's revelation of himself. He didn't rely on his own ideas and his own perceptions of who God is. But he relied on God and his revelation of himself. And he put his entire confidence in God. And so real faith is rewarding he is a rewarder of those that seek him. And you know the great reward? The great reward is God. He is our exceedingly great reward. Some of us are looking for some other rewards from our faith. We're looking for that husband or wife. We're looking for that better job. We're looking for that status. We're looking for that recognition in the family. I'm tired of being the black sheep. It's not even politically correct to say that anywhere else. And we're looking for some other rewards. And so often faith is portrayed as a means to an end, which is self-satisfaction. And yet, he is our reward. God is our reward. Relationship with him. Huh. That's real faith. 
And so we recognize that ultimately we are invited by God to trust him. Imagine that, that God actually gives us the privilege to enter into relationship with him in a way where we can rely completely on him. What privilege. Some of us got issues in our lives and we could really do with some help sorting them out. And You imagine, Bill Gates rolls through. You know he's got a foundation, right? He's got charity. Talk to me. What are the needs in your life? Okay, trust me. I will, I will, I will, I will take care of you. You're thinking to yourself, this is Bill Gates, you know. My man's like richest man in the world. If he's not the first, he's the second. He's got more money than some countries, like Greece and Iceland and them places. <laughs> yeah? Bill Gates. And he said he's going to take care of me. And you're not going to walk with confidence. And you're not going to get up in, in the morning. It don't matter if it's raining, you're singing. Because you know he's got it. And he seemingly cares. Jesus. Jesus is the founder of our faith. And he is the perfecter. Jesus. It is him who is our rock. The rock of our salvation. It is Jesus. And real faith is in Christ alone. We are able to trust God reasonably because God has made himself known. He's revealed himself. And he said, I will reward faith. I will reward those who trust me. Regardless of how the circumstances look, regardless of how the situation looks, I am a rewarder and I will reward you says God. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty two, have faith in God. Trust him. And even when it seems like, you know what? I don't even know if I can. Even when it seems like, you know what? <laughs> it don't even seem like he's working. Even when it seems like, you know what? This is hard and I'm just getting strife. And yet, God says, trust me. And if we ask anything according to his will, we know that we have it because he hears us by reason of the fact that he's invited us to have faith. This is real faith. And as we get ready to pray, I'm going to ask the guys to come up. Maybe you've been struggling in your faith. Maybe you've been struggling to trust God. Maybe you've you know, been in uni and you've been bombarded by just man's philosophies. 
Maybe you've been through those experiences that have rocked you to your core. And yet God has promised to reward you if you will trust him. And the reward isn't necessarily circumstances how we would like them. No, it's having him, knowing that he cares for us, and that as one who is in control of everything, who is good, ultimately good, relying on the fact that he's true to himself. And he will forward his will as we surrender and submit to him. And that his will is good. And that he's working all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And maybe you've never trusted God because science was what you trusted or you know you you really kind of felt that there was some other way apart from Christ Jesus is alive Christ is risen and just as faith was accounted to Abraham in Romans 4 as righteousness we too obtain righteousness through faith, through trusting in God, not in ourselves or anything else or anyone else. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. You have really given us reasons to believe. You have really given us reasons to rejoice, to be glad to be cheerful. We thank you, Lord, because we recognize and appreciate that actually there is none like you. There is no one who's able to be trusted in the way that you are able to be trusted. And you've given us complete assurance of this reality that we are able to trust you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would strengthen us in faith. Lord, there are some who may have never put their faith in you. They've never put their trust in you. They've never looked into the empty tomb and recognized that your son through whom you have made yourself known is no longer dead, but he's alive. The capstone and foundation of our faith. Rock solid ground upon which we stand. And Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that you would open the eyes of their understanding. And that, Lord, you would help us to be like Noah. Noah who received your word, and even though for 120 years it never came to pass, he remained faithful as he built that ark, knowing that there was this certain event to come, because you said it. According to your word, so be it. May we be faithful even in the face of persecution. In Jesus' name, amen.